Welcome everyone to Faces and Feels episode 50. I can't believe I'm here. I started this in September last year. It's now the end of April and I feel like that's a pretty good effort. So I'm pretty happy with it. For this one, I really wanted to bring in somebody a little bit special. Um, For anybody that's not familiar with this guest, he was a big part of me starting to do this podcast. He has a really long-running podcast known as the Spotlight Series. Uh, He is the voice of the violence at ICW No Holds Barred. It is the motherfucking struggles. How are you today, Ryan? Hey, what's going on, man? Congrats on 50. I I feel like I have been there before. It's it's an awesome feeling. You said you started in September. I started in September. So I'll be... Five years doing the show in September. Jeez, man, what a run. That's some yeah. undertaker-level shit right there. <laughs> like just... no, I hope not. I, I mean, I love doing the show. I'll be completely honest. Yeah. Like uh, Episodes like Daniel Maccabe will really, really spark your passion. If you such ever an interesting conversation. Kind of up and downs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a grind, man. It's not easy. People don't realize what it's like to to put out a consistent uh, podcast at the level that I put it out. You obviously know you've been doing it for fifty episodes for a over a year. You know it's uh it's not easy. So uh, I, I definitely commend you and proud that you got out fifty, man. Hopefully, uh, fifty. 100, 200 more, wherever you feel like. I don't know. We'll, we'll see where we go, man. I guess, like, it was, uh, it, it is hard to keep the schedule, you know, and I've definitely, you know, I'm not perfect. There's been times when I've definitely missed weeks when things come up in my own life or the days will change and things like that. But then I also went and did, like, an episode for every single G1 night. And so I feel like that gives me a fuckload of credit anyway because I'm like, who else is doing that dumb shit? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's true, man. Yeah. Sometimes you just you catch a spark of yeah. uh, you know inspiration and you roll with it. Mm-hmm. I know last year in March, a uh, pandemic kind of sent me home from the day job, mm-hmm. and I was putting out episodes two a week, yeah, like a psycho. Mm-hmm. So um, you know it was insane, but that two a week really kind of sparked a big transition for me. It was like a test drive Mm -hmm. in life. If I could be uh, the struggles, I'm doing air quotes, uh, full time. And um, it was a successful test run. So not too long after that, uh, was when I quit my nine to five of uh, just about eight years to do wrestling stuff full time. Yeah, which is absolutely awesome, man. And I think I could probably share with like a lot of people that are, wrestling fans or like podcasters or want to be podcasters like I feel like maybe you're like for me at least I feel like you're living the dream in a sense you know being able to focus on the the wrestling industry while not being a wrestler and be around that must be like really cool and and kind of feel pretty crazy (laughs) like like in the end to be where you are to be like the voice of a promotion and like I know that you help with the organization of a lot of stuff and things like that that's a that's a pretty huge jump man yeah, it's um I have trouble wrapping my head around it a lot. It's a it's a strange transition because you know, you go from um okay, I'm doing this podcast and I enjoy it. I have 100% control over everything. 
every little thing. I choose my guest. I book my guest. I control the conversations. I put out the artwork. I do this. Every little thing is under my fingertips. I handle everything. Then this, you know, whatever talent that I've uh, grown to have got me a job doing commentary. Awesome. Oh, the kid can talk. He knows wrestling. He knows about all these wrestlers. Awesome. Then you become just a talent on the show. So it's like call times and showing up here and doing this and really learning on the fly how the interworkings of a wrestling show works, but just from a talent base. Um, then obviously I become closer with Danny DeMonto and he starts to see that I might have a, a good mind for putting things together in a creative fashion. So we start going there and now I'm really, really learning the backstage stuff, really learning how to put together a wrestling show, really learning how to put together story arcs over time and this book wrestling in a pandemic, which is crazy. Um, it's, it's difficult, but also I don't have full control over it. Sometimes I have, <laughs> for for lack of a better term, I have zero control over what happens. <laughs> so I hear Danny's going to Danny, you know, yeah, and yeah. that's just how it goes. Sometimes he tells you one thing, and then he goes to the ring and does come something completely different. I wish there was a camera on me when he cuts those promos because you would see me just going like this, telling him to stop. <laughs> cut it, cut it. Him, like, 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 you're all right, you're done. But um, it's it's been a wild ride, but... um. You know, a lot of work went into this. <laughs> a lot yeah. of work went well, to get here. I I feel like you've manifested it yourself. At least at least that's the way I look. Uh, it looks to me from the outside, and you may not feel that way because it all might feel like this kind of crazy ride. But there's one thing about your podcast and what it what it's meant to me the whole time is like the positive energy that you put out into mm-hmm. into the universe. Yeah, you're you're always very encouraging to people and I know for me personally it was something I had wanted to do for a very long time I kind of thought about different topics I'd do stuff on and and really just always found reasons not to do it if that makes sense it's always a bit too hard or I'll get the perfect setup or I'll do this and stuff and it was your words just like just do it you only need this if you need any advice or whatever just message me I'll help anybody start and I did that, man. Yeah. I messaged you and you reached yeah. out to a dude from the other side of the world and then it, it inspired me to keep going. And even now, I, ju- I just want to thank you because like, even when I have weeks, and you would know this, where I'm like, man, I've reached out to a few people. No one's getting back to me. Uh, maybe I'm. no one wants to do it. Maybe I suck at this. Maybe I don't want to bother anybody. Maybe they don't want to hear from me and I'm just being annoying or whatever, which is a, a way I hate to feel like I'm bothering anybody. I, I listen to your show and, and I listen to you, to you talk about these positive things like protecting your energy and stuff. And it's always just like, hey, it is worth it and maybe maybe I don't suck at this. And so thanks, man. Like, uh, <laughs> like I really want to thank you for that. Hey, man. I, there's a lot of times uh, podcasting for me is a lot of time spent in a room by myself mm-hmm. talking to myself <laughs> talking to what I what feels like no one yeah because it's just 
obviously to put out, you know, an hour long interview, you'd be like, oh yeah, you know, oh it took an hour. Eh, it takes a little bit more than an hour to get out an hour long episode. People don't really understand, you know. I'm a meticulous when it comes to editing and stuff like that and, and just making sure it sounds right. And yeah. it's um, a lot more goes into it than just the runtime. So, I mean, I started, I, I just turned 37. Um, so I started at 32. And that's, some people might be like, oh, that's a late start to jump into something. I think it's a perfect st- start to, to jump into something new. You know, I felt like, uh, okay, I'm in my 30s. Okay, I'm married. Uh, I'll work my 9 to 5, my 40 hours a week. I'll come home. You know, I'll spend time with my wife and my dog. I watch wrestling. That'll be what I do, you know, just like play video games, watch wrestling, go to sports, hang out with my family. I don't need anything uh, extracurricular, you know. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that's what life was and then not always that easy though is it because i know that you used to do music right like i used to do and when you've lived that life where beyond your normal day-to-day you've had a goal you're striving towards or something you represent like i was in a band for 10 years you know what i mean that was that was who i was that was my identity and yeah. so for you, it was probably the same. I know you used to yeah. to rap and, and stuff like that. Music. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. so when that all goes away, there is there is a little bit of that. Like maybe you uh, you found yourself kind of looking for an identity and maybe that's where the struggle started, or at least I could understand <laughs> that. Of. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's – um, see, the, the making of the rap music was a big part of my, you know, probably from 17 to – 27 yep. so 10 years of my life yeah like you said same, 10 years same. of being in a band um it was everything that i thought of and it wasn't uh i you know i do a show here and there but it was mostly like making mixtapes making albums and i was doing all the recording i was doing all the mixing and mastering so again like i referenced with the podcast i had control over everything yeah so it was a creative outlet for me. And then you, you give it up because it's just not working and you got other things to do and it just takes up too much time and you're focused on other things in life. It's just the, the, you know, the roller coaster of life just happens and things, you know, fall off. And um, I found myself, you know, in my 30s kind of just being complacent with this is my life, this is what I do, but I have this creator fire inside of me for whatever reason mm-hmm. and i'm just like well what how do we get what do i do you know and, and it wasn't one of those things where i felt like i was searching for anything it just happened and that's kind of been the story of, of everything to where i am today like this was never the plan yeah. you know i didn't plan on being the voice of the violence i didn't plan on uh, you know being part of you know the top three U.S. indie and traveling all over the place and quitting my forty-hour job to do wrestling, I didn't plan to do. I didn't know how to use Photoshop five years ago. I didn't know how to use any video editing programs. Now that's what I'm getting paid to do is make T-shirt designs and and 
I do the merch for ICW. I do all the video packages. I do commissions for other people. But I never would have thought that that was something that I would have been getting myself into. But I'm the person who, when I get on the road to the on this journey and I let it flow organically, I am going to continue to learn on the way. So many yeah. people, um, you know, obviously I do commentary. So many people want to do commentary everywhere, yeah. you know, and that's not for me. I just can't. I physically can't. I barely got through WrestleMania weekend. I sounded like a Rottweiler at the end of the <laughs> You're always show. way too hard on yourself, I reckon, about that. You're always like, sorry, everybody. And I, th- I don't think most people would even notice, but yeah. it, it, I think it speaks to your work ethic that you sure. you hold yourself to a standard, you know? Yeah. Uh, like I just think the talent. guys deserve it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I just, that's always my main concern with my commentary is they work so hard. I just want to give them something to watch back and be proud of and not be embarrassed of because I know a lot of them are. Yeah. And they have to show somebody something and be like, explain, oh, the commentator is a fucking idiot. Let me, we'll play it on mute, you know? Like, I want them to be proud of the whole presentation. Yeah. Um, but um, like I was saying, I'm not built to be everywhere. So I just knew that I needed to find other skills to cement my place in one place to make it valuable. So uh, that's when the Photoshop and the Illustrator stuff and the video stuff, I just kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And uh, at the early stages of ICW New York into ICW No Holds Barred, we were lucky enough to have uh, Isaac, who is a part of Violence and Suffering now. We were so lucky to have Isaac there because such a tremendous creative mind. Obviously, we see all the amazing things he's doing now, but uh, we had him as our head content creator doing all of our flyers, doing all of our videos and uh, I didn't really have to do much. But when he decided, hey, I'm going to really dive into VXS, um, I need to really focus everything on that. So I'm going to, you know, take a bow from ICW. We all understood and we were all like super excited to see him go flourish. But now it's like, well, who's going to step up to the plate? And hey, I guess it's me. So. Well, your video packages have been cool, man. I love the the new intros to the Pit Fighter and to the um, yeah. the No Holds Barred and the John. Did you do the John Wayne Murdoch Eric Ryan build? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Was, that was killer too. If anybody hasn't seen that, No Holds Barred twelve, the yeah. the title match to crown the first American Deathmatch champion. The build to that video is awesome. Makes both guys look like absolute killers. Like it's really yeah. cool. Let's do that one thing, man. If anybody who was, uh, I, I get to do it this time, and it's pretty awesome. So anybody that's uh, listened to the Spotlight series knows there's only one question. So, Ryan, what was your first encounter with professional wrestling? Uh, um, <laughs> not used to, to hearing it. Um, you know, I used to think it was one thing. I used to think that it was me... Um, flipping through the channels and finding WCW Saturday night mm-hmm. in like early 90s, 91 maybe. That's what I used to think it was. Mm-hmm. 
But then as I ask that question hundreds of times to people, yeah, you start to jog your memory a little bit. Also, uh, wrestling then becomes a very popular subject in your family because it's, you know, people ask you, hey, Ryan, what's that, uh, what's that little radio show you're doing? What's that about? And I explain it, and, you know, they reminisce on how I've been a wrestling fan since I was a kid. So then I ended up learning and stumbling upon that it wasn't me flipping through the channels and watching WCW Saturday Night. It was me at my cousin's house, who he is uh, three years older than me. He just turned 40. And um, he had a original Nintendo, and he had a bunch of games. And I remember being in their basement and playing video games, probably my first experience playing video games, and just, um, you know, picking up the cartridges and putting them in and, and, and playing them. I remember the gold cartridge and Zelda, and I remember, you know, Super Mario, obviously, but I do remember uh, the one, uh, I believe it's just called WWF WrestleMania, and it's got Hogan on the front ripping the shirt, and um, I didn't know that it was based on real life. I yeah. thought it was like Mario. Like I thought it was fake, just like anything else. Like Zelda's not a human. Yeah. It's just <laughs> a created character. Double dragons you buff know? dudes, but they're not real guys. Exactly. So I just thought it was that, and I just remember putting in the game, playing it, and I remember always picking the guy in the flame suit who does the cartwheels. Bam Bam Bigelow. Yeah. So that ended up being, uh, upon years of reflection, <laughs> apparently my uh, my first encounter with professional wrestling is uh, playing the WWF WrestleMania video game. And then uh, a few years later, because that was probably in the in the late 80s. I was probably like three or four. Was there a, and, uh, was there a Royal Rumble game on yeah. Nintendo? Because you saying that just made me flashback to... Yeah. To a game. And I think, like, I used There's to choose Animal from Legion of Doom, right? Because he had, like, the spikes. I think that was the Royal Rumble game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I remember that cool. thinking that was really cool. I don't I don't know if that was before the first time I saw it or not. That's weird. Anyway, you just brought that up for me as well. Just like, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, it's just stuff like that where it's like, I just always latched on to the first time I watched, you know, actual wrestling which was wcw saturday night in the early 90s probably 90 91 mm -hmm. um i remember seeing vader and being like holy shit this guy's a beast yeah uh seeing johnny b bad and just being like you know this guy looks like uh like a pop singer but he also goes out there and beats people up yeah. you know michael jackson little richard whatever and he's out there punching people in the face i'm like this is cool and um upon further reflection and just talking to people in my life and always asking that question, I realized that the first actual encounter was WWF WrestleMania, the video game for Nintendo. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, man. Uh, from there, it obviously becomes like uh, something that you're you're into and in that. Did you have that phase like we all do where you dropped out of it for a while? And Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Um, so let's say... In 1991, I was on it. I was watching it. Um, I had a friend at school 
who had uh, an illegal cable box, so he was taping all the pay-per-views, and he was given to me on VHS tape. So I was watching WCW. I didn't know there was anything else. So I was just watching WCW. I remember, like, Fall Brawl or um, Super Brawl 2, Liger and Pillman. If anybody knows me, and you do, uh, Liger and Pillman are huge influences on the shirts that I've put out and stuff like that and some of my uh, my favorites. And I was just all in on WCW. I still am. I still watch the old stuff. But um, I remember flipping through the channels and WWF Superstars was on. It was right after WrestleMania 9. Because remember, like, old WCW, uh, old WWF, they would show, like, uh, stills on the screen of what happened, but they wouldn't yeah. show video. Was annoying. They would be like, oh, you know, yeah, super annoying. <laughs> so I just remember seeing, um, from a visual standpoint, WrestleMania 9 was fantastic. The outdoors, the palace, yeah. you know. That's, that's so like my good. first memory of watching it for real, like renting that yeah. VHS and the, the chariot with Undertaker and all that yeah. stuff. So yeah. that's yeah. crystal clear. So yeah, yeah. So I saw all those pictures and all this stuff, and I was like, Man, these aren't my guys, man. Like, yeah. what's going on? And um, I guess I might have asked the, my same friend what what it was. And he was like, oh, it's, you know, it's another company, you know, or da-da-da. He kind of explained it to me. Because I guess his dad was a wrestling fan, so he kind of understood. You know, for me, I still wasn't really telling anybody that I was watching it. You know, I was just, like, kind of popping it on here and there. And... um by the time WrestleMania 10 came around, which it was in New York, I live in New York, I couldn't have been that crazy of a wrestling fan because I wasn't there. But it was my first pay-per-view that my mom paid for and I watched live. Yeah. So I was in it enough that she paid whatever it was, $30, $40, $50, uh, but not in it enough that I was like, hey, we need to be there. Yeah. So um, I was in it. I watched WrestleMania every year, and it it it, it ups and downs. I was in it through um, the Monday Night Wars. I was still in it, but I got lost probably in the ruthless aggression era. So when everybody gushes over Cena or gushes over Brock or gushes over Batista doesn't hit for me and that's no disrespect yeah. to them i just wasn't i just wasn't with it that's yeah. all yeah i was i was the same when that like big cena wins everything stuff was happening and like yeah. at the time i think probably triple h was my dude i like really liked sure. him a lot and it was just like i don't know cena beat him for the title like the thousandth time or something like that he just went won everything i'm like this is I just don't even care anymore, you know? <laughs> but I, my girlfriend does give me shit because I remember, well, my then girlfriend, now my wife, because she works like a big media store over here called JB Hi-Fi, and she mm-hmm. got a huge standy, like, life-size John Cena thing. She gave it to me for, like, a birthday <laughs> thing. She says now that it was a really nice gift, but she knew she was pissing me off because she knew I fucking hated it. <laughs> she wrote on the back and stuff. And I remember like watching it and I was sitting there with my housemate Vic and, and she's there and Cena beats him for like the thousandth time and Triple H's like, 
And I, <laughs> we've been drinking, I just destroyed that Cena thing. Eh? I just tore him to shreds. I was just like, I'm fucking sick of this dude. I'm never watching this stuff again. I was like over it. And then I was doing, you know, bad guy stuff. I didn't really care. I was, I didn't really like anybody on the show anymore. And I was just like, yeah. it wasn't for me, you know? And then obviously time passes and you scroll through, uh, through stuff one day and then it sort of comes back into your life. I, I've told the story before, yep. but I, uh, by this time I'm living with her, with her and we've got uh, Foxtel, which is like our cable, you know, and I'm going through it and Raw's on and I flick it over and it's like Seth Rollins curb stomping Randy Orton through like a cinder block or something. And I yeah, was like, no, oh, oh, this is sick. I'm like, what's this? I haven't watched this in ages. And then Amy, though she didn't really care about it when she got me that Cena thing and stuff, she was like, we can watch it. I used to love this stuff when I was a kid kind of thing. And then that yep. began the journey that would be getting back into wrestling. But by now podcasts exist and I can like learn about stuff and, and things like yeah. that. And it started to go. So was it sort of similar for you when you got back in, do you know what dragged you back in? I remember exactly. Um, I got big into MMA. So I was watching UFC. I was watching the, um, Ultimate Fighter shows. I was watching. I was buying Pride DVDs. I was just big into all of that. So, um, big Vanderlei Silva fan, big Mirko Krokop fan, big fan of like BJ Penn and Gracie Jiu Jitsu. I'm a big fan of all that stuff. So I was like in it. Like I have a ton of MMA DVDs and Pride and all that stuff. All the tournaments. So I was big in and then when the first season of ultimate fighter had their finale it's like forrest griffin versus stefan bonner yeah it was cool and uh, amazing main event fight right after it ended they played the premiere episode of tna impact oh okay so over here so i was like what the fuck is this yeah so i left it on and they smartly started the show it was like a taped version, kind of like a little highlight reel, trying to get new viewers. Obviously, a, a uh, kind of calculated spot to put a new show. Mm -hmm. And the first match was uh, Ultimate X, and it was like AJ Styles versus uh, Petey Williams versus Chris Sabin in the crazy X above the ring. Mm -hmm. Octagon I was when the, they were doing that kind of... Yeah. Yep, so it even had the same vibe. Yep, okay. Yep, six-sided ring. With the the X above the above it, with the the belt hanging from it, and I'm like, "What is this?" And I watched that one match. Yeah. And I just said, "I like wrestling again." Yeah. And that was it. And, that was and it. it went from searching out MMA DVDs to searching out wrestling DVDs, and that was the the next you know transition. I started finding DVDs here and there. Probably the third or fourth wrestling DVD I bought was a Ring of Honor uh, 2003 compilation called Homicide MVP. Had no idea who he was, and I watched it, and I was like, this is my favorite wrestler. And that was in, like, 2005. Yeah. And I went to my first Ring of Honor show in 2006, uh, February of 2006. It was CM Punk's last show. Um. <laughs> And um, that we were off to the races. I went to every single tri-state Ring of Honor show from 2006 till two for 10 years for till 2016. Yeah. 
Yeah. Everyone. I've probably been to 50 shows at the Hammerstein Ballroom. Everywhere. I've seen Kenta versus everyone. I've seen Mitsuhara Masawa live. I've seen Marafuji. I've seen fucking Morishima. Everyone that you can think of, you know, the, the Nigel title run. I was there when Homicide won the belt. It's probably my favorite wrestling moment live ever. Um, so... Yeah, when he's I your dude, I imagine in. that was like that would have been pretty huge. It's not not often people get to have that like full run with somebody if that kind of makes sense, you know? Like seeing him from yeah. when he first got you back into it and stuff to yeah. like and now my dude is doing this. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. So um I was full in. I was buying uh Ring of Honor used to do a uh a buy three, get two free DVDs. Mm-hmm. So every show I would get I'd buy Spend sixty bucks, get three DVDs, and get the two for free. Yeah. So every show I went to, I was leaving with five DVDs, and then all of a sudden, I have hundreds of DVDs, and they were doing it on shoot interviews, compilations, their own stuff, and their catalog started in two thousand and two. Yeah. So I was like, I'm just gonna buy every Ring of Honor DVD. <laughs> the same That's my, my psycho completionist uh, mindset. Uh, so obviously pre-streaming, so it's like, man, if I want to watch this, i got to get it, you know? And uh, I just kept building and building and building, and then one day, uh, me and my, my my girlfriend, now wife, we uh, she had no idea that I really liked wrestling, but I... Uh, kept it low-key. So yeah, yeah. She would go to sleep, and I would, like, watch Wrestle Kingdom at, like, 4 a.m. <laughs> Wake up in <laughs> secret. <laughs> yeah, she's got like no idea. I'm watching like Nakamura versus Naito for the Intercontinental Belt, and she's just like, "What is going on?" Sleeping. And, she, um, she's like, "Ryan, I know you're like doing things behind my back. I see you up on the computer. What's going on?" It's like that meme. It's like what she thinks going on. What's really going on? Yeah. And it's like I'm straight up watching Naito. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's no affair it's here. Funny. This is just like... like it's like her to her friends. Like so, my boyfriend he stays up to like four, five, six o'clock in the morning. Like, I don't know what he's doing out there. It's like he's watching Japanese wrestling. (laughs) It's like like a really sad state of affairs. (laughs) It's not as cool as what you think it is. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, It's the the wrong corner of the deep web at the time. (laughs) Occasionally, I will catch me. She'll be like, who are you over there texting? And I'm like... I, I wish I was a cool player or something, but I'm uh, trying to tee up an interview for my wrestling podcast. <laughs> like, it's like, exactly. you know what I mean? So, exactly. exactly. But, yeah, that that's awesome. Man. It's funny that you said AJ Styles too because he, um, he was the bridge for me into New Japan Pro Wrestling, which is obviously like a, a – it's like a big one for me that I really like. And yeah. it, it became yeah. a big genesis for our travels and stuff because we've been to Japan yeah. many times. And uh, awesome. I remember that um, – promo who was it it was going to be it was just before they quit actually when it was naito versus aj for the intercontinental um title and i remember seeing oh sorry naito what am i talking about nakamura sorry nakamura versus aj oh yeah yeah at wrestle kingdom and i remember that that promo of just like Nakamura on the couch and he's got like the belt draped across it. And I have no idea what the dude's saying, but he's just like oozing charisma. And I'm like, what is this? You know? And then that 
led to a completely different world for me in, you know, foreign and Japanese wrestling. Yeah. I mean, just a, uh, at that time when he had the run with the IC belt, they had come to America uh, and done the ROH War of the World show mm-hmm. in 2014. And I had kept my fandom to myself. My sister knew because she always came to wrestling shows with me, always. I didn't drive. I didn't get my license until I was in my 30s because I was just terrified to drive. Still terrified, but I do it. Uh, <laughs> I, th- I think the roads uh, in like New York and that kind of stuff look pretty intense to me. Like I would be terrified to drive there. Yeah, not fun. Uh, so uh, she would come everywhere, drive everywhere, you know, and she's like a, not really a wrestling fan, but just more of a like, let's go do something yeah. fan. So we'd go to sporting events. We'd go to music. We'd go see basement punk rock shows. We'd go to wrestling shows. So she just wanted to go wherever, you know, and that's just what I was into. So she would just drive me everywhere. And, um, so they announced the War of the Worlds tour, and I saw the promo, like the video, and I was at my sister's house on, like, on my phone looking at it, and I literally go, holy shit. And my wife's like, what? I was like, fucking Nakamura is coming to America. And she's like, what? What and are I these words to- that you've just said in a sentence? <laughs> and she, I had to like explain. Blaine, and I'm like, he's a pro wrestler, da da da. Uh, and then my sister's like, you don't know that he's like huge into pro wrestling. She's like, I know, but not like scream out loud that somebody's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I know he's not like pop star but, level, like yeah, Beatles level like, excitement. Freak yeah. out. Yeah, I was like, he's like Freddie Mercury mixed with a ninja, mixed with Michael Jackson. <laughs> She's like, okay. <laughs> And uh, we went to the show. Did your wife? And, did your wife come? With yeah, you? yeah she came to that one. And, yeah, was that her first both? show? Yes. Oh, that's was, wild. Uh, so her first show was um, War of the Worlds 2014 at the Hammerside Ballroom. Mm-hmm. Um, she was like super surprised by everything, and leading up to it, we were watching wrestling, so she was getting familiar with the people, mm-hmm. and they had the meet and greet. And we're waiting online. I have tickets to meet uh, Okada, Liger, and Nakamura because those are my guys, you know. So I'm just, like, focused. She's like, oh, look, it's Kevin Steen. I was like, yeah, love Kevin Steen. Met him 50 times. She was like, but I never met Kevin Steen. I was like, we'll get him on the next one. Don't worry. And she's like, okay. So I meet Okada, take a picture. I walk up to Jushin Liger. I said, dude, I'm going to hug you right now, okay? And he goes, okay. And I just wrap my arms around Jushin Liger and hug him and then take a picture with, with Nakamura and watch the show it was fantastic. That was the last time that my wife would have had a chance to meet Kevin Steen because he got signed like right thereafter. <laughs> oh, no. So every every time we see him on TV, she'll bring it up or just be like, oh, remember when uh, you wouldn't let me meet Kevin Steen? <laughs> just like, yeah. I'm real sorry about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll show you something um, real quick. I'll put this on the Instagram for everybody, uh, but I'll see if you can see it. This is a picture. <laughs> Me and Okada with the, the real IWGP <laughs> heavyweight title. 
the real belt. Yeah. Whatever that new nonsense. God, is. I was saying to somebody the other day, I was like, look, I don't think it's a bad belt, but I think it's a very bad belt compared to what was the perfect belt. You know, uh, it's it's literally the perfect professional wrestling belt. It's amazing. Like, Have you ever held it? That thing weighed a yeah, ton. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, it's like 12, 15 pounds. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But, uh, God. yeah, man. So that's basically when, like, I'll, I'll say that War of the Worlds is when I finally felt comfortable expressing my fandom for pro wrestling, mm-hmm. and it was at an all-time high. I was going to any show that I could, yeah. doing whatever I could, and then um, buying these DVDs like a maniac. And then uh, they just took up too much space. So I was like, hey, I'm going to start selling these. Started selling them. And that led to a, like a build in my, in my Instagram. Because okay. the struggles wasn't made to uh, as a wrestling thing. Like a gimmick name um, or anything, yeah. Yeah. So it was basically my sister has a clothing company mm-hmm. uh, called Swim with Sharks. And I would tease her because she's so meticulous, although I am super meticulous also. But she would be taking, like, um, product shots and this and that and posting on Instagram. And it would take her, like, an hour to post one picture. So I would jokingly take a picture of her trying to take a picture. And I'd be like, oh, you're struggling. Look at you. You're struggling. And uh, one day she she kept telling me, you know, you should make an Instagram. I'm like, ah, I don't really fuck with social media. So one day for her birthday, I made an Instagram, and I would always joke and say to her, oh, look at you. You're struggling right now. Let me document the struggle. <laughs> so for her birthday, I created at the struggles and took a picture of her and was like, there you go. Look at you. I'm documenting the struggle. So anytime anyone's something funny that's kind of candid, I would try and take a picture of it. If we were out somewhere and I saw something amusing, I'd take a picture. And that's it was funny. just like yeah. whatever. And then I didn't really expect it to like blow up. And, you know, I don't introduce myself as the struggles. Like that's fucking weird. But I don't, <laughs> don't do that. Like anybody who has like a handle that becomes popular, like make sure that it there's some separation, you know. Don't go and introduce yourself as like, hey, like – I'm Johnny Johnny eight nine six five eight. Like that's like don't do that. Don't do that. If you have a weird fucking weird like if you're fucking all elite twenty eight, like don't be like, hey, what's going on, man? I'm all elite twenty eight. Like don't do that. That's no, weird. Super weird. Like imagine if I was got onto this call with you and I was just like, Ryan, nice to meet you, man. I'm Faces and Feels podcast. Like it just would be yeah. so whack, man. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. But you're a normal human being. And um, as I got deeper into the world or started to to get into the world of pro wrestling, it's like a lot of people um, only feel like they can connect through their internet handle. And it's you can you can choose to 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 separate it. You know, if you've listened to my show long enough, I don't call myself the struggles. I say Ryan every single episode. Every single time. And I want people to connect with me as a person, not as a fake name. And I never had any want to be the struggles. Like I didn't even I didn't even think it was like a thing. And the you know, I put out my uh I was been doing the show for a little while. 
um, I don't remember how many episodes, but it was you the started WrestleMania interviewing weekend. your friends, right? Like, it yeah, 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 that was the first. that's what it started, like so, just other fans and creators and stuff, right? Yep, 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 yep. So that's uh, one day. It was probably like uh, it was probably like July or August of 2016. I had been a guest on a couple other people's podcasts because I was selling my wrestling DVDs. And people were like, yo, this guy really knows his shit. He has this massive collection. But he, you know, a couple people that I had sold DVDs to and had, you know, offhand conversations, they were like, man, this guy really knows his shit. Why don't you come on and do like a breakdown of a Ring of Honor show or do this or do that, a little guest spot. I was like, cool, man, yeah. And I had already had recording gear from doing music. So the first, like, guest spot on a podcast I did I just did it through, like, my Apple headset, and I was like, man, this is garbage. Like, there's got to be a better way. So I had already had, you know, like, um, I'm trying to think what type of setup I had. I had uh, a condenser microphone with, like, an XLR wire, and then had that plugged into an interface and into my computer, and I'm just like, man, this might be going too hard for a podcast, but it's what I got, so I'm going to sound good. And I did it, and people were like, yo, shit sounded great, man. Like, everybody else sounded like shit. You sounded great. I was like, well, you know, like, I, I did audio stuff for a long time. And then I was like, like, no disrespect, but I was like, fuck these guys. I could do this way better than than anybody else. And the following was growing. It's like a couple thousand people. And uh, I was like, you know what? Spotlight series. Sounds good. I'm going to just talk to my friends. We'll talk to some people with bigger accounts, smaller accounts, and we'll just talk about the internet wrestling community because that's what it is. It's community. For good or for bad, it's a community. So started with that, and then by episode 10, like, John Silver was on the show. He lives 10 minutes from my house. I just messaged him and was like, hey, I'm from Long Island. You're from Long Island. I would love to just interview you. And he was like, yeah, sure. So we did it. And then it was like spotty, you know, a couple guys here. My my friend Juba who wrestles, he was on. And like back and forth, like I'm, I'm not actively trying to book wrestlers, but I'm just like, you know, I'll shoot my shot every once in a while. Then Masada was on where I don't know how it even happened. I think a friend of a friend became friendly with him on social media. So he was like, yo, you should do this. And he did it. And then it, we went from like 100 plays, 200 plays to like Masada came out and it was like 3,000 plays. Yeah, wow. And I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, this doesn't happen. Uh, a lot of editing on that Masada episode <laughs> because he's an absolute maniac. <laughs> um, but uh, that like put like a stamp because right after that, like Jeff Cannonball was like, yo, I listened to your Masada interview. That was awesome. I'd love to be on the show or Matt Tremont. Love the Masada episode. I just listened to it while I was at, uh, he used to have a collectible store. He's like, I was just at the shop and I was listening to it. It was awesome, man. I'd love to be on. Then Tremont came on and it was like a big old stamp, you know? And then, things start to roll and fucking homicide was on. Like, I don't even remember how that even happened. It was probably like 
uh, someone that I had on who was close, like Homicide, if a friend tells Homicide to do something and it's okay, he will take their word for it and do it. But if you just flat out, he doesn't know you, he just, it's a, it's a no. Yeah. So somebody had must have put in the good word and was like, yo, he's a good kid, da, 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 give him a shot. So having him on was like a mind fuck. And, I, and then I, I guess as I started rolling, I was like, I guess I have wrestlers on every week now and that's when like the stress of booking the podcast comes into play and now i'm at you know 200 plus episodes almost five years you know majority of them wrestlers you know big small and in between but uh man i would definitely say that the people to really really give me the stamp like masada was made people look because it was a crazy interview. But like Tremont and Homicide, people were like, okay, yeah. These are also dudes that don't often do a lot of interviews. Like you don't hear from Masada. Like you you don't really hear from Homicide. Like you say, he's a dude that kind of keeps to himself and stuff. So they're instantly ones that, you know, will pop off. I found you, I think it was through Jimmy Lloyd, right? I think I was just... I watch the match or something was just about almost to a hundred yeah so i just googled like jimmy lloyd interview or whatever and it went to your podcast and that (laughs) what it was because i was trying to figure it out i was watching gcw i was real big into gcw and i was just kind Mm -hmm. of like i do with stuff just learning about people you know and i'd heard about the scissor thing or whatever and i was just like who even is this kid and the De Niro thing, and then yeah, got your your thing, and that was like yeah, my introduction to it. Yeah, Jimmy. Um, I had met Jimmy a bunch, and uh, the funny story with Jimmy is that uh, he's such an awkward kid until you get breakthrough yeah. to the other side from him. So I had met Jimmy like five times, yeah. but every time he'd be like, "Hey, I'm Jimmy. Nice to meet you," and me being awkward i would be like hey i'm ryan nice to meet you then on like the sixth time he was like hey i'm jimmy nice to meet you i was like jimmy i met you like six times and he goes i know so so shut the fuck up man like say what's up don't be fucking weird um but now me and jimmy are good and anytime i see him it's it's good to see jimmy um so that episode was leading up so episode 100, and that was like a super, super hard grind for me because I had 100 recorded, which was Amazing Red, yeah. and I had it, and I knew that's what it was going to be, but I did not have the in-between from like 96, 97, 98, 99. I didn't have it, and it was week to week. Like I, oof, man. So 99 was Kevin Koo, and I think we recorded at 1 a.m. Monday, and I released it that Monday night. That's what the tight timeline was. Um, and God bless Koo for, for being about it. But, that, man. That's amazing. 
Also kind of similar to what I've been going through because I knew you were number 50, but I had nothing between the other five. <laughs> and I've been uh, trying to fill it in and stuff. In fact, I'm recording uh, 49 tomorrow <laughs> at midday. It's it's now 1am actually right now, and then uh, I'll be doing that at midday. So yeah, it's funny. I didn't actually know that story that it was. <laughs> it was super stressful. Yeah. I remember, oh, man, I can't even remember who was on that lead up. But I remember, I think, me texting like ACH, like, Albert, help me. Send someone to me. He was like, what about Davey Vega? I'm like, sure, fuck it, let's go. Like, send them to me. And, like, Davey was like, I can only do this time or this time. I'm like, I don't give a fuck, man. Like, whatever. Like, I'm not going to miss a week leading up to 100. Like, Let's get to a hundred and then I'm good. Like weight <laughs> off the shoulders, whatever happens. I was feeling the stress of getting bigger and better guests. I was really yeah. feeling that weight that I was like, man, I need to get Jake the Snake Roberts. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I need to get uh, get me Stone Cold Steve Austin on the phone yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. So it's like I felt this weird fucking pressure. But then once I recorded, I don't re- record many episodes in person, uh, probably two or three. I think Giancarlo came to my house <laughs> and we did it on my dining, uh, on the dining room table and just recorded right, right out right there. I'm trying to think who else was in person. I think just John Carlo and Amazing Red. But Amazing Red, I went to the House of Glory training dojo and sat there, just me and him, for like two hours. And I'm just in my head like, this is the greatest American cruiserweight of all time. Yeah, This is the most influential uh, independent wrestler who has had this incredible stamp on independent wrestling and he is shaking nervous to talk to me and I'm just like that's insane but that's just him but uh unbelievable to be able to have that opportunity to talk to him he's such a good person such a good trainer such a good wrestler has so many stories that we barely even scratched the surface but I knew once I did that Anything coming after was icing on the cake, man. I could have my neighbor fucking Jimmy John on, and it wouldn't fucking matter anymore. It didn't matter anymore after that. So I just started to just roll with it, and whoever I would get, I would get. And some of them ended up being really cool anyway. I was always going to reach for somebody cool, you know? Like, I'm going to give away a, a secret to podcast bookers, if there's some like vintage wrestler or somebody that's really big and they got like a book coming out, send them a fucking DM, send them an email and tell them you want to help do press for the book. That's how I got Scott Norton on. That's how I got Ken Shamrock on. That's if you see like Tommy Dreamer. I hit up Dreamer was like, hey, I see that you're running a House of Hardcore show in Long Island. I'm from Long Island. Would you like to come on and talk about it? Yeah. Let's promote my show. Uh, New Jack. Hey, man. 
How are you, Mr. New Jack? I see that you have a Vice documentary coming out. Would you like to talk about it? Yeah. So if you can find a link to have them share what's going on, then it makes it gives you a little tick up in the percentage of saying yes. So Scott Norton, what? I never expected that, but I knew he just had the book out, and I shot him an email and said, hey, here we go. I did that with Jake Roberts. He was doing the tour where he does the speaking tour and all this stuff. I sent a message. They just they replied back. His publicist or whoever said, he's booked up, man. Sorry. Now with, uh, you know, hit me back in a year. And I did. And she was like, he's really busy with AEW. Hit me back in a few months. And I will. And I'll get Jake fucking Roberts on the show one day. <laughs> Believe that. That'll be sick. So I guess there's two more kind of steps in your story. When about yeah. and how much of an influence did the the merch kind of side of things come into play? Because obviously you're doing the creative world stuff and things like yeah. that. Did that did that play a part in how sort of your profile developed within the wrestling scene and stuff? Because obviously you were putting out pretty cool wrestling shirts with parodies of guys and stuff like that. That was like pretty dope. Yeah. Um, the shirts definitely brought some legitimacy to me and my brand and definitely put more eyes on what I was doing. So um, I put out the Jushin Liger Batman animated series shirt right right before WrestleMania in Orlando because I had them with me. So, and people had were wearing them. So, and I like gave Homicide one. Um, so, around that time, so I'm, I did like the two week pre order, not thinking it was going to be like a thing. It certainly turned into a fucking thing. And uh, I think I sold like 275 of them. Yeah, right. And dude. it was just brutal in the best way possible because I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. So, like, packing all these shirts, me and my wife writing out everybody's fucking address. I didn't know that, like, oh, you go on to this and you print out labels and, you you know, you do this and do that. I was writing them all out, going to the post office. They were weighing each one, this and this and this. Just, ugh, it was brutal. And I was just like, man, maybe we don't do this again. And um, I ended up continuing it just because I had fun. Like, I'm not an illustrator, but I have concepts in my brain and vision of what I want. So with doing the, the Liger shirt, I figure, man, if Liger's going to be Batman, then what's the other side of that? The Joker, got to be Pillman. It's one of my first memories of, of wrestling. Back WCW. to that match, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was just like uh, made sense. Then I was like, man, these are popular. You know, a bunch of um, bunch of these are going all over the world. It's crazy. I got to keep doing it. And um, the next one, I was like, I love video games. I love Nintendo. Another big part of my creative brain was sparked by video games. So I was like, let's do a uh, a Super Kenta Kobashi as Super Mario. It's like cool. It did not sell nearly as well as the rest of them. Like, we're talking hundreds of shirts opposed to, like, 25. Yeah. And 
I'm like, maybe the design is trash. Maybe the people don't like that lane. Maybe people want comic books and wrestling, not so much video games. Maybe it's the design. I don't know. So I was kind of like, eh, shoulder shrug, you know. I, I guess I'm not going to do these shirts, like, all the time. Then uh, I was working at my 9 to 5. I worked uh, as a production manager at a sign shop. We got a brand-new graphic designer. Uh, his name is Avin, and he walks in, and he's knows nothing about wrestling or anything, so we're just being like co-workers. Hey, you know, blah, 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 how are you? Did they learn about each other? He starts bringing in, like, uh, you know, trinkets from his life and putting it on his desk. I see uh, Incredible Hulk. I see uh, this. I see uh, that. Uh, oh, you're into comic books? Yeah. Yeah, I draw. It's like, awesome. Uh, he starts bringing in some stuff that he drew. I was like, this is insane. He was like, yeah, 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 I really love comic books, da, da, da. I was like, yeah, me too, man. I was like, you watch wrestling? He was like, no, uh, maybe a little bit when I was younger. He's not even from America. He's from Guyana. So he had only okay. been in America probably like two, three years. Um, and one, I, I was kind of checked out on doing wrestling. And I was like, dude, would you take a commission? And he was like, yeah, sure. What do you want to do? And I had the, I was like, yo, Batman, Liger, fucking worked let's do it again yeah. so i did gotham liger him like on a gargoyle perched above the tokyo dome and i was like if i'm gonna do that i need the uh, the other side i need a villain so i did the two-face muda with uh young muda old muda with the coin and i put it out and it sold like insane and i was like you know what i switched to a new artist obviously and I was like, yo, this kid literally walked into my job. And uh, we hit it off. We're great friends to this day. Obviously started a design company together. And uh, I was just like, dude, like, would you want work? And he's like, yeah, of course. So we've been doing commissions for however long that was, a few years. I think of the crazy concepts. He knows nothing about wrestling. He just draws. So... I mean, we just did a Young Bucks shirt that's coming out. We just did a Kenny Omega shirt that's coming out. Yeah. So, uh, wild and crazy, yeah. you know? And uh, I thank him for just being right place, right time, because the designer that I was using, I just really wasn't over the moon with. And uh, I just thought, nah, maybe I'll put out, you know, maybe shirts aren't for me. But then he came and turned my vision into, like, exactly what i wanted and we work so well together and great chemistry so now like 30 shirts later and all these commissions and yeah man it's just uh that's where that all sparked from and and we decided uh kevin kleinrock from mass republic meshes me and asked if he would if we would do a commission for pentagon jr and i'm like holy shit this is like we were doing like a couple like jobs for like local indie guys that I had on the show before. So I had like a little in with, but I was like, dude, this is a big deal. And he knows nothing about wrestling. Yeah. I'm like, this is a big deal, man. Like he was on TV. Uh, this was like Lucha Underground yeah. was popular. And I was like, this guy is a big deal. Come up with the concept, knock it out of the park. And I'm like, dude, we need to think of a name because they're going to credit artists 
and they're gonna want to be like, hey, we got it through X, Y, and Z. So we thought and thought and thought and thought, and we came up with Creative Weld, meaning that two creative minds, you know, we both have completely different skill sets. He can draw, but he needs to be set into motion. You know, he was so used to looking at a comic book and redrawing it. So now I'm telling him every last detail what to draw because I can't. So I can see it, but I can't do it. He can do it. Then also, he doesn't want to talk to anybody. He just wants to draw. (laughs) He's like, I don't want to talk to people. You talk to them. You get the jobs. You send me the money, you know, and that'll be the deal. I was like, cool, man. Like, so we welded our skill set together, and then the play on the weld was uh, if we create it, it's worth every last dollar because people were saying that we were expensive. But now they're not saying that we're expensive. But, um, yeah. So that was the whole thing. It was like, man, we got this one big job. We kind of need to, like, brand it. And we did. So we've been doing that uh, ever since. You know, it sucks. I Well, it doesn't suck. I quit my job there in December. He's still there. But he just put in his notice to be done so that we can do Creative well full time, you know. Amazing. He can do the drawing. I can do the networking. I can do. Uh, I've been doing a lot of video commissions lately. So, um, yep. yeah, we're gonna be going full in and trying to do some more stuff, man. So that's really that's cool, man. Of, it's it's always like really f- like cool to hear about like a synergy between two people. Like you recognized skills in each other and also got along well, like in friendship, and then you managed to. Yeah. Again, find the strengths and turn that into something that was going to work for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We work super well together, and we're great friends. I mean, we're talking like we hang out. Like we go and watch fucking Marvel movies in the theater. Yeah. We go like he comes over and watches wrestling and like we play video games, and that's my guy. It's my dude, one of my best friends. And it just so happens that we're able to also work together. Um, in a healthy way. Yeah. Some people can't do that. Mm-hmm. Some people can't have both. Uh, but we're able to do that. And uh, I'm excited to see, because like right now, you got to think about it this way. He's working 40 hours, then comes home and works even more hours on commissions. Mm-hmm. And like the Kenny Omega that he just finished, it's like the most detailed fucking masterpiece I've ever seen. And I'm just like, man, like imagine if, you didn't have to punch the clock for 40 hours. I said to him, what if you have 40 hours to, to draw? Yeah. And he, it, it, it's always the worry of, you know, what if the calendar's not full? What if this, what if that? Now it's getting to the point where it's like, I'm telling people no, or I'm telling people you got eight weeks, you got to wait, mm-hmm. you know, you got pro wrestling tees just saying when we finish one, they give us another one and another one, another one. IWTV just saying, hey, here's four designs. Go ahead. I'm like, dude, the work's there. And uh, so he's finally pulling the trigger, and we're going to really see what we can do with it. So it's exciting. That's so cool, man. So that that day happens, and, you know, he walks into your life at, at work that time. I guess, yeah. I guess the other kind of main figure in your life and in the change and stuff is Danny DeMonto from ICW. <laughs> how does okay. how does that happen, man? So how do you meet him? 
how do you do commentary and how do you end up becoming such a big part of this wrestling organization? Because I know you talk a lot of shit about him, but he's obviously like somebody that, that has like played like a pretty big part in where you are now, right? I, I, there's a lot of people who have a big uh, influence and stamp uh, on, on me that have made me where I am today. Mm-hmm. None bigger than Danny DeMonto. Um, I will say that Homicide and Tremont, big stamps of approval. Um, Giancarlo Didimo, big stamp of approval. A big portion of the build of my podcast is through him. The first time I ever did commentary was for him. He did a boutique show called Blind Pig. It's on IWTV. He let me do commentary. My second ever commentary job ever, ever, probably my seventh match in the history of ever doing commentary was Nick Gage versus Pentagon Jr. at Spring Break 2. Pentagon again. So that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I would not have even thought the commentary was a possibility if it wasn't for Giancarlo. And obviously at the time through GCW, Danny DeMonto was very involved in GCW, um, took the reins over with Brett Lauderdale when they changed it to Game Changer Wrestling and all that stuff and starting their legendary run. Obviously, Brett and Danny have since gone separate ways. And um, for me, I didn't know what that, that meant for me. You know, I remember the day I met Danny. It was in Orlando at WrestleMania. Um, we had done the the crazy Spring Break 2 poster with Janela as Doc Octopus and Sasuke as Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And I met Danny, and he knew who I was, but that was it. It was just in passing. I don't even think he knew I was going to be on commentary that night. So we just met in passing, and it was just like, yo, it's funny that two guys from New York had to meet in fucking – Florida, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then after that, once he started to venture off and do ICW New York, this was before he even left, uh, you know, left GCW. He was doing ICW as kind of like a side project of just like booking on his own, sort of like that uh, Brett has hybrid wrestling. Mm-hmm. That is uh, Brett's kind of like side deal. Uh-huh. Um, so he was doing that to get, I guess, like, you know, when you work in tandem when you're such a strong personality like both of them are, you want to get all your ideas off. So you kind of, you know, branch out into a whole nother place where nobody's really going to tell you what to do. You know, you kind of just do things as you see fit. So that's what he was doing at ICW. And uh, I had interviewed him when I was doing my one of my Deathmatch Decembers. And, um, yeah, he just, like, hit me up on Instagram and was like, would you want to do commentary? I was like, yeah, sure, man. Like, um, I, I just kept it real with him. I was like, Hey, I've only done it, you know, one full show and then spring break. Um, but yeah, I'd love to give it a shot. He was like, cool. You'll be on there with, uh, Scotty Sariti. I didn't know Scotty at all. Scotty messaged me and introduced himself, made me feel comfortable, showed up to the first ICW show. Uh, they, it wasn't, Streaming for IWTV it was for tape, and it was uh, I th- yeah the main event was 
Danny versus Amazing Red in what was to be Danny's retirement match. Danny's not retired. Very, very not retired. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's retired a few times now, hasn't he? Yes, yes. Um, So that was like, it was a a shit show. They had uh, a Zoom recorder. You know, it's a little handheld deal with the little microphone on top. I sell them all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, so it was just that no microphones. So I was like, they expect us to just talk into this fucking thing. And I had one and it was like a beat old one. And I have one at home. Uh, so I text my wife said, yo, bring my two microphones, bring my, my, these two wires and bring my zoom recorder when you show up to the building. She's like, cool. She showed up like 10 minutes before bell, hand me the bag and popped in the two mics, and now me and Scotty have mics, and I just took out the SD card from that shitty Zoom and put it in mine, and we did the show. And I was like, cool, man. And I, you know, the guy who was recording, I think his name's Rich Ruiz, he had told Danny about that, and uh, he was like, oh, so you really know what you're doing? I was like, yeah, when it comes to this stuff, you know, da-da-da. And then he, I guess Danny found out about the shirts. And he was like, oh, that's cool. You think you could do an ICW shirt? And I was like, yeah, yeah. So we ended up doing like one on a playoff of the old Sandman with the cane. It was like the big red apple with the cane in his hand. Um, so that was kind of like started to be a part of that creative stuff. And then I was just on like every show going forward. We just kept going. And then the IWTV thing kind of kicked off. And uh, getting to to sit next to Jerry and really learn about uh, the production of how a show gets produced and what goes into it, and just learning more and more, and always getting there early and asking Jerry if I could help him set up, and just understanding more and uh, getting more familiar with the wrestlers and just introducing myself and just making sure that I'm telling the stories that they want to tell, just taking it serious but not too like overbearing, where somebody thinks that I'm like. Yo, this guy's going too hard for this, you know, fifty-person independent wrestling. Yeah, show. yeah, yeah. You know, so uh, I started going and going and going, and then you know, Danny's just like, I think it was, he was like, "What do you think about doing a show called like Nick Gage's Fight Club?" And I was like, "Okay," and he was like, "We'll take down the fucking ropes." So he's completely gone from GCW. Bloodsport was his original idea. So he was still mad. So he wanted to do a show that was like, fuck you to them. You know, typical DeMonto point of view. Um, I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever you want to do. And he was like, we'll call it like Nick Gage's Fight Club and it'll be this and this and that, that, that. I was like, whatever you want to do, man, sounds good to me. And then he comes back and he was like, I was talking to Sammy Callahan. He said, what if we put chains up? I was like, that sounds good to me. I like it. And he's like, Gage is out. He doesn't want to put his name on it. I was like, fine. I was like, do we have to have somebody's name on it? He's like, I'd like to. So it was going to be Chris Dickinson's XYZ. And um, we were shooting the shit, trying to figure out a name for it. I suggested uh, Chris Dickinson's Dead or Alive, like the video game on like Sega Saturn or some shit like that. Because I know Chris is a big vintage video game fan. Chris liked it. Danny didn't like it. Danny was set on no holds barred because that was the original pitch was no holds barred. 
then that turned into blood sport. Yeah. So I was like, all right, man, well, you, you're set on it. So cool. And then, you know, the white Eagle was booked for January 4th and it's like, shit, man, we're doing this, huh? And from that card on, I was very, I went from not knowing anything to knowing every little thing about the show. And that's a testament to Danny never at, said to me, hey, do you want to be on the creative team? Yeah. You know? Did you it guys just, just start from, riffing on stuff kind of thing, just casual yeah. conversations? Went, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just went from him texting me like, what do you think we did Gage versus Tessa? And I'm like, you're fucking crazy. And he's like, what if we let's do it? I'm let's like, open right. with- <laughs> and, and, then, and then it turns into that. Let's open the show with it. And I'm like, you're crazy. And he was like, we need to do something different where it catches people are so used to this formula. And I was used to the formula. I, we talked about all the ROH shows that I've been to all formulaic independent wrestling but successful he's like i want to flip it on everybody and i was like all right man but every little thing went through both of us we talked he called he would call me whenever and i'd pick up the phone and we'd talk about everything and i'm telling you that volume one was very different (laughs) originally like like I don't care if he gets mad. Um, like we had like Warhorse versus Homicide for the IWTV title, and then that got scrapped and turned into Homicide versus Casanova, which was um, was epic. I mean, how often that caught a lot of steam as well. Who's getting waterboarded like yeah. on the chains? Like that was wild, yeah. man. Like stuff like yeah. that caught people's attention that, immediately. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was what we needed. You know, and we kind of thought that the number two match start out hot, then bring them back with like an old school brawl to kind of set the tone. And it worked. I mean, Homicide has such a great grasp on on storytelling and using hardcore wrestling. Uh, I mean, the guy is just a visionary and he just told this fantastic story and cast was perfect for it. But we had like it was supposed to be like. Eddie Kingston versus Josh Briggs, and that we decided not. And then, you know, you end up going to the old reliable Tony Deppin because you're always going to get the best from Tony. He's just unbelievable. We were trying to do Dan Moff versus Jacob Fatu, and that ended up not working out. And um, it was Takeda Loki stayed. And the big thing that really cemented um, me into creative was I had pushed for Killer Cross versus Chris Dickinson forever. Mm -hmm. I was just like, dude, this is my dream match. Mm -hmm. And Danny wasn't really sold on Cross given he's not local and the price tag and all this stuff. But then he finally got him over and he understood instantly and that was the building block of volume one was cross versus dickinson and everything spawned off of that then you get takeda versus key and you get um tessa versus 
gauge and everything starts sprouting off of that, you know, and uh, man, Eddie Kingston's knees were fucked, so he couldn't get on the plane. Then we need to figure out who's going where. Dickinson was in the hospital with pneumonia, so who's going to replace this and that? And like, next thing you know, we got Jimmy Lloyd versus Cologne. Like, what the fuck, you know? And the match that all of us knew would be good, but we weren't really focusing on, was Eric Ryan versus John Wayne Murdoch. And it ended up being the start, the real, the true start of our story yeah. that culminated Mania Weekend 15 months later. Yeah. And, uh, no, it holds it just, 12. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Like Danny always said, you know, we didn't, we didn't need a belt. The hard work speaks for itself. And it, the views started to change a little bit. And, um, I designed that belt. I put so much time into that belt, making sure that it was done properly. It's just didn't like hand a design off to somebody. I was like, it's got to be stack plating, dual plated silver, silver, the gold, the black inlay. I need this. I need that. I need the 3D look. It's got to be heavy. It's on the genuine leather belt with the red crocodile skin on the back. Sick. Like, yeah. I, I'm like I'm not playing. Yeah. Like this. When I saw it, I was like, I didn't know you designed it, and I was like, yeah. that is a banging belt in an yeah. era of shitty belts. You know what I mean? Yeah. It stood out. So yeah, I was like, I need it to be classic but modern. I wanted the organic plating where it looks like they fit into one another. Yeah, uh, I just wanted that. I just saw it, and we got it to where it needed to be, and it. I, I said to Danny, I was like, dude, this 15 months of hard work, of stress, of cancellations, of rolling with the punches, of venues lost, of light tubes broken, of cops showing up, of shitty fucking fans, of fucking marks hating on the internet, every ounce of that is in that belt. And I held it in my hand the Wednesday before the show started, and I just sat there and held it in my hands. And Danny's like, you like it? I'm like, dude, it's everything that we've ever done into one physical thing that I'm holding. And um, he was like, yeah, it was. it's the right move, you know? So, uh, Dude, in that moment, I can only imagine, like, after... Like anybody that knows the story of like no holds barred and stuff and through all the COVID, no company. And I feel like it's why you guys are where you are now. No company has, using that term, roll with the punches better. You know what I mean? Shows shut down, shows rained out. Like think, just keep on moving, keep on moving. And I imagine in that moment for you, like when you finally got it and after that and hearing that the work you put in, it must have felt like you won the fucking title. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're like it's it's here, and now I get to watch these two guys who weren't even really supposed to maybe be the guys, yeah, fight sure. for it, and that that must have felt pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was. It just felt it felt fulfilling, especially knowing that I don't let the internet bother me 
you know, but hearing people say, you know, oh, they don't tell stories. Oh, they don't do this. Oh, they don't do that. Oh, they don't have a belt. What are they fighting for? And in my head, I'm just like, it's fucking coming, man. Just shut, shut the up. fuck out. It's coming. And then it's like it's years coming. later, everybody looks back and they're like, oh, the long-term storytelling. And it's like, yeah, motherfuckers, just shut up and let it happen. <laughs> exactly. And, and you I'm guys like, do tell yeah. stories, man. I did a whole fucking episode just based around Muff and, and Nolan. You know, like there's the yeah. stuff there. It doesn't all have to be in your face and it doesn't have to be like, you know, I slept with your wife and this is happening and there's a truck coming through a wall and all this, you know what I mean? You're telling the story of fighters competing and yeah, yeah. I pers- I personally like love it and people may listen to this podcast and be like, Rach just about struggles and fucking, you know, and ICW and he's a huge mark for it all and stuff like that. But I just feel like with listening to your show for so long, I feel like I've seen your struggle and I, yeah. I I watch a lot of wrestling and I see a lot of independence and stuff like that. And I see the work you guys put in. So I kind of don't really give a fuck what anybody thinks because I think that work yeah. deserves commendation. So, yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate it, man. And that's, that's, that's what goes a long way for me. Like I said, I, 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 I don't look much into the internet for negative and really for positive either. You know, like a lot of people said I did a great job many weekend. I am so happy to hear that. But I know that I have so much work to do to get where I need to be because the guys, girls, everybody out there fighting deserves that. I deserve to give them just as much as they give us. And they give every bit of their blood, sweat, and tears to put on these insane matches so hearing the adulation and the love, I, I'm so appreciative. Hearing the hate, I kind of smile and laugh and shrug it off. But I know there's so much more work to be done. But when it comes from somebody like you, who you've been a part of what I've been doing for such a long time, seeing the transition from just podcast to X, Y, and Z and being a major you know, mind in this, you know, crazy thing that's no holds barred it goes so much further for me to hear it from somebody like you so i appreciate it man thank you man and thank you for your time dude it has been it's been literally awesome speaking to you i've taken up two hours of your time it's uh now 2 a.m in perth western australia um and i hope i haven't taken up your entire day off but i really appreciate it and for me uh at 50 episodes of just doing this, it kind of feels like a bit, a bit of full circle for me for, for the guy that kind of encouraged me to start it, to get to have a chance yeah. to talk to you. And so I'll be eternally grateful to you for that. And if you ever need anything from me, all you need to do is ask man. Hey, I appreciate you. I'm so happy that you are able to, to do this. So many people make excuses so many people say, oh, I don't have the equipment. You don't need it, you know? You don't have to do it the way I did it. You don't have to do it the way you did it. You don't need a studio. You don't need anything. All you need to do is just talk. And you might think that nobody's listening. For years, I thought that nobody was listening. Now I am literally sitting here talking to somebody who listened to me. And that, if I do nothing else... I'm proud of that. So thank you, man. Yeah, 
You should be, buddy. Well, why don't you go ahead, tell all the people where they can find you, where they can find the Spotlight Series, uh, and we'll, sure. we'll sign you off. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on social media, on Instagram, at The Struggles, on Twitter, at The Struggles 23. You can listen to the podcast on all major podcast platforms. You could just search the Spotlight Series, or you could go to spotlightseries.live. If you are interested in watching ICW No Holds Barred, you can go to iwtv.live. You can use the promo code STRUGGLES. You won't get any free days, but uh, you can still watch and subscribe. You can check out all the stuff that we've been doing all the way since Volume 1. I've called so many matches in the last uh, year or so. It's, it's, it's all a blur, but I promise it's worth it. So please check out ICW No Holds Barred. You can follow us on social media at ICWNHB. And uh, I'm going to have a couple new shirts coming out soon. And that you can go to everydaystruggles.live and see all that. And uh, I appreciate you, man. Now I'm going to have to have you on the Spotlight Series. Is that going to make you have like a little panic attack? Uh, might be a little bit of a panic attack to be, to be honest. Like uh, that's incredibly flattering and i thought that could never be a possibility so <laughs> that's pretty wild dude that's pretty wild yeah we'll have to do that oh man sounds, sounds like a plan to me dude that would make my day thank you again <laughs> so much for your time man i, I really do appreciate it um to everybody that's listened thank you for tuning in to any of my my shows for the the last 50 episodes um your support and just the numbers. I, I see the listens and things like that. And it, and it means a lot. So thank you for tuning in uh, and for myself and for the struggles. Remember it's all about peace, love and pro wrestling. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been Faces and Feels. Check us out on social media, at Faces Feels Cast on Instagram, at Faces Feels Cast on Twitter, or send us an email to facesandfeels at gmail.com. Until then, peace out.